Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Starting Line podcast with me, Rich Lee. I am blown away by the feedback to and the figures simply for episode 13. That was our interview with Susie Chan. I knew she was incredible. I knew it was a good interview. I knew we had fun. But Jesus, it is the best downloaded episode by quite some way. And I've been doing a lot of guesting on some podcasts recently. Um, if you want to go and listen to Hardcore Listing, the, I guessed it on that. I guessed it on a mental health podcast called Reach Out for Mental Health. Both of those with Stu Whiffen, who is absolutely lovely, and Chris Glasson on Hardcore Listing, and Kirsty Eaton on Reach Out for Mental Health. So I talk a bit more about myself on those ones. So I think that inevitably brings an audience. Uh, we've been getting some press around Charlie Mullins' episode and various others. But if you'll come into this and Susie is your entry point, I've got a whole series worth of episodes that you might love. We're going to be talking about them in this episode. I'll get onto that in a second. But honestly, go back through the archives. I guarantee that you find somebody you want to listen to as well. Thank you, Susie, for being so supportive. You've been wonderful. Thank you to Peloton for supporting us and making that happen or helping to make that happen. And thank you to you as ever. If you don't already subscribe or follow the podcast, please go click that. It really does help. And we are done for series one with our guests. That is what we're going to be doing is taking you behind the scenes with each of the guests over two episodes. And we're even going to have a midweek episode where we've answered questions from you and from my very, very good friend, Ashley Stokes. Now, Stokes is somebody I introduce and we chat about our relationship. He's one of my best friends. We have known each other since we were 11 years old and he has been an incredible supporter of me doing this podcast. He's listened to every single one. He's um, just been really in my corner on it and 
I thought he would make a wonderful proxy for you, for the audience, so he can ask questions or give thoughts as a listener, and also as somebody that's known me for decades now. Christ. (laughs) So it is a wonderful look behind the curtain at our interviews, the first half of series one. So that's our interviews with Levi Roots, with Marnie Swindles, with James Cracknell, with Shabir Hadery, Andrew Block, Hayley Parsons, and Christian Leroy Duncan. So we talk about some things that might actually shock you and some things that might even be relatively newsworthy. Who knows? Either way, a thoroughly enjoyable time recording this episode with Stokes. I know it's a tiny bit different to what we've done before, but it's a bit of fun. And then, as I say, midweek, we'll be coming out with the Q&A episode where we answer your questions and some of Stokes's too. Now, Stokes asked me not to do the without further ado thing for him, but I've never listened to somebody tell me what to do, and I'm not about to start now. So without further ado, I bring to you... (laughs) He's going to want to slap me, but don't worry, I can take him. Uh, Without further ado, I bring to you my conversation about all of our conversations with Ashley Stokes. I wanted to wrap up with a couple of episodes because there's loads of behind the scenes that I think people would be interested to know about both starting and maintaining the podcast and also loads of behind the scenes stuff about the guests. We've had some phenomenal people on this series. I have to pinch myself. And also some of the ones that almost happened. That (laughs) The ones that got away slash will hopefully be series two guests or three or four or whatever it can happen. I put a couple of posts out over the last uh, last week or two and we got some questions from listeners and also with me is my friend of 25 24 years let's say since we were 11 anyway Ashley Stokes I will never call him Ashley uh, so if I refer to him as Stokes that is who he is it is going to a boys school that will do that to, to you uh, I, was, I just spent the weekend in France with a load of mates from the same school and I just got called my surname the whole time. So, Stokes, thank you very much. And by the way, the Stokes bit is fine, apart from when your children <laughs> only know me by my surname. When you've got a toddler coming up to you and saying, hi, Stokes, it's quite disconcerting. <laughs> do you remember it when I said, do you know his name? And she was like, yeah, Stokes. I was like, do you know his first name? <laughs> and she was like, Stokes? Yeah, that bit's not important. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so we're going to be getting through some questions that Ashley has. He's, he's shaking his head. Uh, going to be some questions that Ashley's got and questions from listeners. We're going to speak about the guests and then we're going to get on to some stuff for the future. This is probably going to be a two-part episode or two episodes. First episode looking at the first seven guests and the second one looking at, you guessed it, the second seven guests. So, so you've got some questions. I do have some questions. Would you like to start with my questions or with the listeners? I questions? would love for you, before we get into the questions actually, to... Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, that's unfair, isn't it? <laughs> it can get edited if it's shit. Don't worry about it. You've been talking to some of the most interesting people, <laughs> and now you want to ask me about myself. Yeah. So, so how did we meet? And I don't know. Just give give us a flavour of. So we 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 who met. Is the real Ashley Stokes? Oh god! If anyone could let me know, that would be great. Um, we met in the most school way possible. So our surnames both start with the same letter. Yes, they do. So in every class, 
from year seven onwards, we were always sat next to each other. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, and friendship by proximity. <laughs> so, well, so that's the thing, isn't it? You go, who, when you get into year seven and you know nobody, you go, who am I going to make friends with? Yeah. And then, so in that first week or whatever it is, you're like, oh, well, you're sat next to me on the left. You're sat next to me on the right. I'm going to talk to these people. And then our, our friendship blossomed from there, didn't it? Christ, unlucky. You looked to your right and there I was. <laughs> there I've been. And I, I just went, fuck off. Well, I just, I just thought, oh no, I've got to sit next to this handsome man for, for the next seven years. So I should say as well, my surname is actually Smith. So Richard Lee is... It's your stage name? It's my stage name. So Lee is my middle name. I just bloody hate Richard Lee Smith. So when I first got into PR, I made the decision as I was calling journalists, nobody is going to remember Rich Smith. So it just became Rich Lee and it's stuck ever since. And well, the most fantastic thing is that there's a podcast that we both, both love. And they were talking about the most boring names possible. And they did say, Richard Smith, they is did. that even a real name? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the, the history of um, Stokes and I, we, in terms of podcasts, we endlessly talk about podcasts. So that, that podcast that Stokes is talking about there is the Complete Guide to Everything, um, a podcast about everything with Tim and Tom. They're two Americans, two New Yorkers. I found it eight, nine, ten years ago and have loved it ever since. They've been doing it for a long time. It's just two friends chatting shit about different topics. We've been to live shows together and then we found uh, another one called King Falls AM. We did. Do you want to tell, speak to King Falls? I mean, I don't even know how you summarize King Falls. So, so a late night radio show, again, two hosts talking about weird and wonderful things. Yeah. And you go on a journey. It's fiction, we should say. It is fiction, yes, agreed. And uh, in this King Falls, what is there? I think pretty sure Santa Claus lives there. Yeah. Elvis is there. It's ridiculous. Um, it, it goes in some directions, but the most disappointing thing is they didn't finish the story. They did not. So if anybody listens to this and wants, what was it, 100 episodes, I think they get to, yeah, something 100, like that? Yeah. 100 episodes. It's brilliant. Really, really fun. Really silly. And then it's like a George R. R. Martin thing where he just won't bloody finish the damn thing. So we went to a live show of that. That was less successful as a lot as live shows go. I think, you know, we, we kind of realized very much that, you know, maybe we, uh, you know, we, we're not the target market for King Falls. And I, that's think, okay. I think with some things, and may, maybe this might prove to be the same, is that sometimes a peek behind the curtain is amazing. And it, yeah. and it endears you to those people. And other times a peek behind the curtain can show you things you don't necessarily want to see yeah and uh, and can then put a blemish on on what you once loved i think that's part that's of fair that one. very fair we both listen to lots of interview podcasts we do i've been boring you for years about wanting to do this i mean what interview podcasts so obviously like there's your rogans your freedmans your uh, adam buxton adam buxton yeah i listen to uh rob brydon's yes of course um, which i really enjoy louis through there's so many I've but we just rotation. chat back and forth i think it's not, I guess we got rugby, uh, so we played rugby together for years as well. Stokes was very good, he would never say it. He's very good at starting fights, that's what he was good at. And ending fights. I did have, uh, did have anger Temper. issues as a teenager. I think we both had anger issues Yeah, I think as so, teenagers. But, but then I also think there's part of going to an all-boys school where you're just surrounded by testosterone, far too much of it. Um, I think it breeds a certain, you know, you, if you back down... Yeah. Then you're in trouble. So, you know, we found a way to survive school 
and then that bled into the by being aggressive into into rugby, uh, which which I think served us well. Yeah, and I mean I still play rugby, uh, not well, um, <laughs> but now I'm I'm the I'm the peacekeeper on the pitch now because I play with all the 18, 19 year olds all who are hot still heads. yeah all the hotheads. <laughs> no guys, we've all got work on Monday. <laughs> rugby was yeah definitely the first thing I think they bound us, and then yeah as we've got into adulthood, we both had kids young. You were 20? 21. 21. Yeah. I was obviously 18, almost 19 with, with my first. Both got married young. Yeah, married at 23. Both got divorced. Divorced at tw- 29, I think. <laughs> well, I, I, like, I like to say that for most milestones in life, mm. we've both completed them. Mm. You know, yeah. got married, had kids, bought a house, yeah. and then got divorced, which I think that's, for most people, that's life completed. <laughs> Doesn't so you, you often ask people what defines success, and I think I've, I think I've, <laughs> I've succeeded. You <laughs> succeeded at ticking boxes, um, but it is funny. And then, and then, as I say, podcasts do kind of you know pull us together still. Yeah, um, and I think you know, and our, silliness. Our, our journey mostly because I'm a terrible human being um, from our friendship. Obviously, because we had kids so young, our lives were drawn in different directions. Yeah, um, I basically became a recluse for about five six years. We had our one annual meeting, didn't we? We had Christmas drinks Christmas every drinks. year. That one time we would see each other. Yeah. And then, yeah, we've been able to rekindle it and sort of get back to where we were over the last sort of five, six years, haven't we? Yeah, yeah which, I think so. which, has been, which has been really nice. The reason why I love Tim and Tom isn't for the topics they talk about. It's for the relationship. And I don't know. I, I, I guess I have a small hope that people listening to this feel that there's a lot of love there. Feel that there's, you know, we, it's, it, you know I, I'm kind of unashamed with my male friends in being quite, you know, being quite overt with my, uh, you know, my affection for you. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny, isn't it? Cause I think certainly when we were younger, it was all about how manly can you be? You know, you're trying, you're trying to prove something to the world. And, you know, I've got friends now that if you sort of show any kind of affection, they, they get, they get awkward, yeah. but we end every phone call with, I love you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see a <laughs> What's wrong with that? that? What's yeah, f- exactly. What is wrong with that? I think, I, I look back and I think about the kids that we were, and as I say, I know I know why I was angry. I know, <laughs> you know, I guess it took a long time. I never really spoke about it at the time. Um, it took until adulthood really to speak about like upbringing and and, and certain things. I think I felt yeah. that all throughout school. I felt like I struggled to relate to lots of people. You know, here I'm at a, a boys' grammar school that you know I was at because I found out that you could go to a selective school. And I was desperate to prove that I was not the same. Do you know what I mean? That was, like, I got there because I spoke to my headmistress at primary school and said, I really want to do the 11 plus. This was ages after the 11 plus for anybody outside the UK is a, is a test to get into what's known as a grammar school. A grammar school is a selective school. And not even outside the UK, mate. there's not many grammar schools in the country. Nah, true. We're just very lucky in Gloucester that there are a load of them. So there's a lot of choice here. I, I like to think that, that was an era where social mobility was still a thing. I don't know that that's true necessarily of, of grammar schools anymore because Christ, to get in now, it's all tutoring. Yeah, know. well, I think you know, to your point around you know, being, able to, being able to go to an elective school, as you hear a lot of stories, um, certainly with the, you know, with, the, with the higher standard of grammar schools in Gloucester, there's people who travel up from Bournemouth, they're traveling mm-hmm. two, three hours to take their kids to school. Right. So that means that that's taking the opportunity away from deserving kids mm. more locally. And, you know, that's how grammar schools are set up. So that is the system. But it does feel like there should be a, a certain radius that, that you can collect from because there will be people of, you know, 
with, you know, with not so much money and not so much ability to make those kind of decisions. Yeah. And actually, if you've got the money to, to travel, go to private school. Well, that's a funny thing. I think in a lot of grammar schools in Gloucestershire, and Pates in particular, it's a lot of kids that were private school and then go there because it's a better school um, and their parents think I can save a few quid. Mm. But yeah, with, with, with Crips, I guess, our, our school, yeah, I always felt on the periphery. And I wasn't in all that all that much anyway for various reasons that no, you sadly... Were, I, th- I think part of the challenge was, though, I mean, there was a, there were a couple of people out your way. Mm. But because you, you were travelling in from what now is not considered to be a distance, yeah. but certainly when you're, at, when you're at secondary school is, is that it's not like you could go and knock on someone's door. So that, we, you know, we had that group around where we were, where there was about 20 of us who yeah. would go out in the evenings and, you know, street drink and all those things that teenagers used to do. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to create a bond just, again, around proximity yeah. because we were able to, you know, cycle to someone's house. Couldn't cycle out to you. So, you know, there'd be the odd occasion where we'd be able to arrange a sleep. You wouldn't have wanted to either. I promise <laughs> you, you wouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> one of our mutual friends came to the house once and he was like, what the hell is this? And I don't think he came back very often, um, sometimes to look after <laughs> my younger brother if we were going to court, for instance. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, court out into, or family out into court. But yeah, it, it wasn't somewhere you'd probably wanted to spend that much time. But, you know, but then also, you know, it didn't allow you to have the escape. Mm. Because as I said, even though I grew up in a very different household to you, there's still fallings out, there's still things. And to be able to go, yeah. oh, like slam the door and I'm going to my friend's house, you know, to, to, just to be away from that situation. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice escape. Do you know what rugby was that escape for me? And it was, I was going to be a professional rugby player. You know, anybody who listens that played with me might laugh at that and think you were never good enough. Well, in my head, I had to be because I didn't know what else I could be. I think for sport, for poorer kids, for, for kids from a more disadvantaged situation, you know, what does that kid in Toxteth, that's amazing at football, or you know, come from that council estate over there, what do they have if not sport? Well, you don't have anything. And you look at sports people and you see the adulation, you see the, the achievements and you think, right, well, I'd be happy if. And then, you know, clearly that didn't quite work out. But No, but I think, you know, you had the courage to say that out loud numerous times. And yeah, we all did scoff at it a little bit because how many people do become professionals? But then if you think about all the conversations you've had as part of this podcast, mm. it's people that have a belief and don't give up. So although you didn't get to, to do that, that ambition, that drive, that's carried across into everything else you've done. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that hopefully sets a scene for what we're doing here. When I first asked Stokes if he'd do this, kind of be the proxy for the listener, he was like, uh, hell no. And I was like, no, you've, you know, you've listened. He's, he's very, very supportive of what I'm doing here. Well, so I've proudly listened to every podcast of the season. And I will also proudly say, this will be the first one I don't listen to. <laughs> so I'll wait, I'll wait until season two to start listening. So I want to give you a bit of a look behind the scenes of the Southern Up podcast at some of the guests. And I guess there's probably a story or two for each of them. So, um, And the reason Stokes is here, as much as I love him, is also because as a listener, I think he might have questions that you potentially had about each guest, or we can get to some interesting chat about each of the interviews. So the first one, we started well, Levi Roots. Big name. Good name. Good name to start with. Yeah, I was surprised when he when his name was chucked into the mix um i put a request out this tool that we use for work and somebody came back and they said oh well levi's actually doing a 
um, a musical at the Edinburgh Fringe. And we, you know, we're, we're on the, you know, we're on the, as you rightly said earlier on, you know, we're on the path to, for promoting it. You know, would you have him on? Bear in mind, we'd not. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, hang on. I'll have Let to me. think about it. Um, so Levi, obviously he's, he's an incredibly famous face, isn't he? In the sense of Absolutely. most people I would assume know who he is, or if you say reggae, reggae source, or, you know, they, they, they get to him. He um, walked into the den playing his reggae, reggae source song. So when that came in, I was like, yeah, absolutely. We'd not, as a, we'd not gone out with a single episode yet. We recorded, I, I want to say seven or eight, six or seven episodes before we even went out with episode one. Um, so we, we didn't record in the order that we released. Because for me, I think it's important that you don't have too many of the same type of people. So Levi, he turned up in... <laughs> Made you look bad. <laughs> I mean, I've got... I've got something of a uniform, haven't I? It's basically a tight t-shirt and shorts or a tight t-shirt and jeans. Yep. And it was warm that day. Levi turned up only about 20 minutes late, but enough to make me think, he's not coming. He's, he's not coming. Took control. It's just that what it is. Uh, and I was going to say he arrived fashionably late, but he just arrived fashionably late. It very much did. Uh, so there's a photo. I'm sure I've put it on social. If not, then I will, of me looking like a... The, the competition winner, he just looked amazing. You know, you had the tight three-piece suit, dripping with gold, turned up in a Range Rover that has RR Source, nice. uh, you know, five for the source on it. Um, this is this is not a man that arrives quietly, but he was an incredible... I think what's really nice is the way I would describe his Dragon's Den pitch is infectiously positive. Absolutely. And he is exactly that in the interview. Like he really just, was. Just even, even when he's talking about some real dark times, it's always got a positive spin on I'm, I'm really glad you picked that up. And that's what I mean by you as a proxy for listeners in that hopefully other people pick that up too. Because I didn't know until I'd researched him that he'd been to prison three times. That, you know, he'd done that long stretch for possession of an offensive weapon or possession of a gun yeah, drugs or drugs. And violence, and yeah. I didn't know those things. And... I think all too often we are very quick to judge people. Not that Levi admitted to a mistake. He said that, you know, he was he was framed for it and pointed to a book in the interview that exonerated him. That basically it was, you know, the, the copper that arrested me even admitted to setting me up. And this is a story in itself. So this is quite exciting, isn't it? <laughs> so Levi is incredible. Um, and I take people as I see them. He was, as Stokes said, infectiously positive, you know, very gracious with his time. But when the episode went out, I had some media get in touch and they said, what's this book? You know, we, we've tried looking for it. We can't find it. And of course, when he said it in the room, I wanted to know that too. I was thinking, Jesus, that should, that's, that's worth an apology. That's worth, uh, you know, if this cop is there saying about how he set you up as a yardie and all these things. And Levi, Levi said, no, no, that was, that was absolutely set up. So I called Levi. So this is, the week that the episode came out, I called him and I said, I'm being asked what this book is. And he, he went, ah, I, I, I can't remember, can't remember, but you know. And eventually, was it Gangbusters? For those that don't know, Peter Blexley was the face of Channel 4's Hunted. He is the cockney older guy that leads the team on Hunted. So Levi Roots was set up, in his words, arrested in Peter Blexley's words 
by, by, by a famous copper, which <laughs> when, you, when you think of that fact... Well, you, if you think about in isolation, you go, that's weird. But then you, you hear the rest of Levi's story and you go, no, that's probably about right. I mean, I, I then... So I told the journalist what book it was. I then went and bought the book. I'm sat there reading it. And I get to the section about Levi. And Peter is incredibly self-congratulatory uh, about the whole episode. And he doesn't once in it admit, as Levi had mentioned, to setting Levi up. He says, Levi was this big, hard man that did these things. I'm glad I got him. That's kind of the yeah. you know how it went down. So the Metro then said, well, we can't cover it because they're recollection of what actually happened is is so different and we think we might get into some legal hot water which is completely fine of course so for me again zero judgment you know i don't think you are the sum of i think his work since and the positivity he brings he is a net positive for the for not just london or the uk but for the world as corny as that sounds you know for jamaica for um, you know, whoever he speaks to, I mean, he goes to prisons, he speaks to to kids, he speaks, he goes into schools, and all of these things. So, you know, we all get to these places in life via, you know, not not always by the straightest line. So, zero judgment from me, and it, I just think it's 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 fascinating. If <laughs> if you could just take a step back for a second, and you know, I'd, I'd... you have you have to remember this. This is the man that sang Happy Birthday to Nelson Mandela. I mean, so, when he told me, I mean, I, I don't, like, again, in my research, I, I read that. So if he didn't bring that up as he did, I'd have absolutely, you know, I was going down that route. And actually on the note of singing, I took my guitar that day and I hid it in the corner so he didn't see it. And I was going to ask if he'd sing the reggae reggae song. And then I asked him a question. I said, when was the last time you sang it? He said, yesterday. I sing it most days. I sing it pretty much everywhere I go. And I went, well, you probably don't want to play the guitar and sing it then. So don't worry, I'm not going to ask you. But he, afterwards, he sent me some lovely messages, loved the interview, um, you know, even after the episode had gone out. A lovely, lovely man. And he, he said one like, a fantastic quote right at the top, which I that? wrote down because I thought it was brilliant. So he's, he's talking about, the, about racism. Mm-hmm. Right? And I don't know if this was, these were actually phrases from the time, but he said when he got to the UK there were two types of people that you would come across. There was the fashion kids mm-hmm. and the fascists kids. Yeah. I was like, that is like, again, he's, he's talking about racism mm-hmm. and yet he's still able to make it poetic oh. and, and almost, you know, almost sound, you know, and he didn't sound, you know, this is somebody who's been through a lot mm. and he didn't sound like that was, you know, he, he was, he was, he was able to differentiate that there wasn't racism everywhere, mm. that there were some people, because I think Scar must have been, in the air at the time yeah. and there were people trying to find out about you know Jamaican style and Jamaican music and really getting into that scar scene and then you've also got the the skinhead scene alongside that it must have been a tough tough time to grow up in Brixton you know with the riots and with with race politics and society being what it was at the time. that must have been really difficult so yeah for him to be as you said poetic about it and still find some positivity I think it was a wonderful way to start the series. There was a, uh, I just need to throw this out there. So I did a little bit of research about the movie. Oh yeah. So there was an article that was published in July this year. The movie being a movie that's being written about his life. About his life. Mm-hmm. And apparently um, one of the actors that's in the running to play Levi Roots is Denzel Washington's son. 
Of course. I it mean, is. doesn't surprise me. Yeah. You know, it's how wonderful is that? You know, I'd be first in line to watch it. Absolutely. Yeah, that, and I imagine there's stuff that you didn't manage to cover that will be so in much. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, and I hear that his show did brilliantly as well at the Fringe. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The second person we spoke to, Marnie Swindles, was Marnie Swindles. Marnie, I was going to say she surprised me. She didn't. I knew. I, I watched that series. I watched every series of The Apprentice. I worked, you know, a few of the winners. You know, I didn't have that much to do with Lord Sugar, but you know, his brother Simon. You know, I did some work with him on his on their company, Amscreen. Simon's a lovely guy. Very, very different. Uh, very different. Very unassuming. Very sweet. Very kind. Watched it. Loved it. Thought she was incredibly capable, competent, more than competent. You know. A good leader, you know. So, I went into the the interview thinking, okay, well, it's it's a very different, it's a very edited version of the person you get on The Apprentice. We all know that. But in my research for it, I'd listened to a lot of her talking. I'd read a lot, and I knew that she hadn't had it easy. I knew that I was coming in to speak to somebody who actually there might be some parallels with my life. Um, you know, somebody that has made boxing her life. There's going to be a lot that I can draw out of her. And one of the things that we didn't get to speaking about. And it was an intentional part or point of mine not to bring it up. Again, this was my, I think she was my second guest that I'd interviewed. So Dan Norton, 18 months ago. And then I think Marnie was so the first. still quite raw. Not quite sure how to do it. I might do it differently if I had to do it again. But Marnie's dad passed away when she was eight years old. And I believe it was in front of her. That's what the media, that's what the news articles say. And I thought, I don't want to bring that up. And I think I was right not to at the time. Well, it goes back to that question that we had around how do you deal with the emotion in the room? I feel like potentially that line of questioning takes the emotion to a whole new level. Yeah. Which, which I think as, a, as an inexperienced podcast host may be tricky to come back from. Yeah, agreed. I think now... I've got something to point to, to show some empathy, to show some, no, 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 this isn't, again, this isn't gotcha podcasting. This isn't, I'm looking for a headline. This is, I want to hear who you are. We can get to it without having to go over that. But, you know, for people listening to this, I think that is a big reason that Marnie is who she is. You know, it was, it was incredibly tough. Eight years old, you know, that sort of thing to happen. You know, we talked about the bully that she headbutted. Yeah. I'd heard her mention that on another podcast. And I was like, I have to ask you about that. And she, she was really worried, bless her. She, you know, after the fact, even she was like, you know, I'm really worried actually that's going to make me look terrible. It's like, dude said something about your dad. Yeah. You know? and, and she's a child. And you're young. Like, you know, we've, we've all done things that, that you wouldn't necessarily be proud of. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll pat her on the back for yeah, it. It's absolutely. like, you know, if listen, there, there are repercussions. You know, what, what was that saying? Um, you know, everybody's got... Everyone's, everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you thought that was cool. You thought that you were being funny or whatever you thought you were doing. Like, we don't... Like, whatever you said. I don't know what was said. You don't need to know to know that it would have been cruel and probably <laughs> deserved a fucking headbutt for it. <laughs> I, I bet he didn't do it again. And I bet he was kinder in his, you know, his approach to other people in the future. She runs a gym and, you know, is, is an ambassador slash you know, role model for people, especially young women. Yeah, I think she, she was just keen not to come across as this thug. And she's everything but that. It goes back to the point that we said about Levi is that 
you're not defined by one action. It's mm-hmm. the sum of all the parts. And we all mature over time. Absolutely. Yeah. I was fascinated, as I said earlier on. One of the things, I felt like we had a, a, a good kind of bond over that trying to take anger and distill it and point it in a positive direction. And well, I, th- I think that you two had a lot of similarities. Like when I was listening to her talk, I was like, well, that's rich. So she, um, I, I, wrote, I wrote a quote down that she has a constant burning for more, even if it's at your own detriment. <laughs> right? And, yeah. that's, and that's, you know, it's what we talked about you earlier on. Yeah. Is that, you know, you, you've never got enough spinning plates. Yeah. There's always something else that you want to try. And, you, and I think you said, in, you said in this episode, you know, if I, if I need to work till 11 o'clock, I know I'm going to be working till 11 o'clock. That's just who I am. Whereas most people clock off at five and yeah. they go, right, I'm not looking at the laptop until, until the following morning. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a different drive. It's a, it's a, it's well, a different mindset. It's, it's living like most people won't. So you can then live like most people can't. And it's an interesting one. I, I don't love the have and have not aspects of it because I don't think it always comes down to how hard you can work. I think fortune does play a role and your, you know, the people around you play a role. So, you know, I bang on about opportunity, provision and esteem. You know, if you don't have those things, then you know, it's very hard to, to make a success of anything. Yeah, that, that day was a funny one. As I said, she would have been the third person I interviewed, but for coming back to the recording studio story, we had book time in with Gail Porter. And I messaged Gail early, like when I first started going out to potential guests. And within two minutes, she'd come back and said, absolutely, Rich, I'll do that. And... And you thought, this is easy. I honestly couldn't believe it. I was like, podcasting games? Yeah, nobody. (laughs) So two minutes, got a message back and I was like elated. And we'd set a date and yeah, she, it got to 20 minutes. She was late. And again, I'm paying for this recording studio in in central London. She was late and I messaged her saying, are you okay? Nothing. Try calling message again email all of these things nothing an hour later i got a message from her saying i'm really really sorry rich i completely forgot i was having a fridge delivered (laughs) (laughs) what a fantastic excuse that's brilliant she 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 probably was at least she didn't try and hide it no no, she could have have said any number of things yeah the truth is the best option yeah so i got stood up for a fridge and (laughs) um i mean gail is a wonderful example of somebody who's Christ, we talk about starting lines. She's had resets. You know, she's had a number of times that she's had to go back to various starting lines. And you know, I think she would make for a fantastic guest and I'd still love to make it happen. You know, we've talked a bit since. So I'm hopeful that one can still happen. It's very hard to understand what she's been through and how she's still super positive. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about making that one happen. But then I, I was just fortunate that we had Marnie over in Camberwell. How was that? How was that for you then? So you've gone through that kind of roller coaster of emotion, <laughs> yeah. and then you're going on to your next one. Is that is that not your confidence? Is that no. throwing you off your game? No, again, it's an appreciation for. I'm the one that you know they're doing me a favour. Again, not not one single episode had been released at this point. It's a kindness for them to even entertain the the idea. I I, I don't know. I just no, I'm not knocked at all. I just think, well, she's a human being. She's got a life and. You know, and it, and sometimes it could be as mundane as shit. I forgot I was getting a fridge delivered. These things happen, you know. And, it, and let's let's say that was an excuse. Let's say that wasn't the truth. Then that, she's got her reasons, right? 
you know? So, no, I wasn't knocked. I, again, I'd done all the research. And then I was like, cool, well, I've, I've also done all the research for Marnie and let's go there. If the door slams in our face and she says, bugger off, uh, you know, can't be bothered to do this, I'm too busy, whatever. It is what it is there too. But that's what I mean. I, re- I, I take rejection in that sense pretty well. Yeah, well, you, you went from that to then being fully welcomed in and going on the grand tour of the gym. That was amazing, honestly. And, and also to a point- you, could, you could hear how proud she was. Oh, it was yeah. one, That was wonderful to hear because you could, they, they say you can hear the smile. Yeah, and you can absolutely hear the smile. Absolutely. Yeah. She was beaming at like how mm-hmm. proud she was of the gym. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, completely agree. It was, it really was a great setup and I was just appreciative of her wanting to show me and- yeah, I mean, I've talked about owning a gym over the years and, you know, it wouldn't be a boxing gym. That's not my background, obviously. But you know, I look at it and I think, you know, you should be proud. It's just, she's an incredibly impressive person. And I came away from that thinking, again, I've worked with, I've met a load of apprentice type people and some of them do it, I'll be completely honest, for the wrong reasons. They go on that show because they think it is a springboard for... And you can, t- I mean, I, I don't watch The Apprentice. Mm. Um but I've seen clips of, of things. And, and I mean, some of them that I've seen over the years. Like, how did you even get here? Because it's entertainment, isn't it? You've got to remember it's nobody wants to watch 15 brilliant, smart business people not tear chunks out of each other, not fight for the opportunity. I would, that's what I would love to watch because then I might learn something. You would. <laughs> you really, nobody would watch it. You know, The Apprentice remains, I think, uh, I think I saw some stats recently, the best watched TV show for younger people. And that's like under 35 or 40 or something. So, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, I, I don't want to get the the number the number of viewers wrong, but it's it's significant. I mean, like eight to 10 million significant, some, something around there. So we're talking a quarter of all adults watch The Apprentice. It's fascinating to see somebody come out of that. And she went into it in my opinion. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Opinion for entirely the right reasons. I'm not surprised you won. Well, and, and you, you, I mean, you said to her in the interview about how you kind of spotted the, that, that skill set right from the right I think from the as, as an employer, you see it. As an employer... 
I know what curiosity looks like. I know what drive looks like. You you, you were about to give her a compliment. And yes. Then she got defensive and said, she really oh, you're did about that. to call me bossy. Yes, and I wasn't. Not for a yeah. second. And, and also, which, you, which speaks to a much bigger societal issue, doesn't it? That we, haven't, that we haven't got time for here. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't take compliments easily. And, I, and, and again, it was just another point. I was like, huh. Okay, we you know we're coming at this with, and I do think she's partly motivated by anger, you know, and That's a great a, book, a real again, you've got to have something, you've got yeah. to have. Well, I mean, she's, I mean, I wouldn't say Fifty Cent's necessarily the most angry music in the world, but you know, that's what she said was her soundtrack, mm. and you know, there's there's a lot of dark darker oh, themes in there and struggle. Yeah, uh, mate, I, and that's what we, we talked about hip hop, didn't we? And I know we both. You know, I thought I thought you were going to go deep into that. I reckon that was a big edit cut. Uh, probably. We <laughs> didn't go. You, you, you listened to Nas. <laughs> so Marnie, phenomenal episode. Really enjoyed that one. A third. Third. James Cracknell. OBE. OBE. Now, James, I wasn't sure what to expect. I've watched his documentaries, listened to him, you know, interviews, watched his documentaries. James is incredibly well covered by the media. His cycling accident was was kind of everywhere at the time. And then, you know, he's he's had a lot post that with the divorce and, you know, become the oldest man to win in the Oxford-Cambridge boat race and you know, all, all of these things. So I thought, am I just going to get this incredibly driven, barely able to, you know, to, to look at me for, for want of wanting to go and run a race somewhere? He came in. So welcoming. Honestly. So he came in. Dripping with sweat, having cycled, bless him, he was worried he'd be late. Instantly, you were worried you'd be late for me. <laughs> You're James fucking Cracknell. <laughs> and he sat down, and I can't remember what he, how he got onto it, but it was about retirement. You know, this is before we, we were even recording. And he showed me a Family Guy clip. He straight away pulled up on his phone. He went, Rich, you ever watch this? And he showed me a clip of Wiley Coyote finally catching Roadrunner. And it's a Family Guy kind of skit. And... And it's, he said, yeah, we were showed this by, uh, you know, in, in this performance institute to ready us, to, to get us thinking about retirement as, as professional athletes or as, as athletes. And um, in, in this clip, Wally Coates, he catches Roadrunner and instantly he's elated. I've done it. I've, you know, I've achieved that thing that I was setting out to achieve. And I, you know, life couldn't get any better. And then it plays on to Wiley Coyote thinking about ending his life. And... You know, and, and just going through d- depression and he's got nothing left to achieve. Mm. And I thought it was a really lovely way for James to come in and basically just announce himself as just like a very relatable person. And I think, and you know, we, we come from Gloucester, we sound like farmers, <laughs> right? And I think we're guilty of think we hear somebody that sounds posh mm-hmm. and you go, well, I've got nothing, nothing to relate to. Yeah. And... He sounds very posh. He does. You know, but just somebody you, I feel like he's the guy you could have a chat with down the pub. Absolutely. I mean, he's the one that I think I've probably got. I've had a lot of people message about James and speak to me about him. And they're like, yeah, I didn't think that I'd like him. And I, I was like, why? You know? And they're like, just, I just thought there'd be some arrogance there. I thought, I mean, he's achieved a ton of stuff. But I think, I think you do. I think posh voice. Mm. Rowan's very elitist. It is. Right, I mean, yeah. we've got a club here, but it, you know, it's quite an elitist sport. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think you, you could get the measure of the man immediately, mm. where he's he's talking about being in the boat with um, Redgrave and Pinson. Yeah, and he goes, "You can only ever be twenty five percent of the boat." Yeah, one good rower 
will not make you win. Okay. So everyone's got an equal say, everyone's got an equal share. And you go, okay, if, if, that's, the, if that's the ethos you've had your entire career, yeah. you know that your voice is no more important than anybody else's. You're willing to talk to Redgrave, who's got five gold medals. So he, you, you, you almost know immediately mm. that he's going to be open to... And he was, he was so open. There was nothing I think I could have asked him that he wouldn't have answered. Oh, nothing off limits, now, we, yeah. we talked about his divorce. We talked about his brain injury, which I know he's talked about a lot in the past anyway, but, you know, we... We got into some some deeper, darker places with him. You know, I thought was fascinating about him. He was so adamant that he didn't just want to be known as the guy that won some gold medals, which is appreciable. I, and think, I, just, I, I think that's what because there'll be a lot of people that will dine out on one success. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and he, you know, he he said it quite a few times how he didn't want to just be known as that guy. That's just a moment. That's just something. It's I not did. who I am. I, yeah, I want people to know who I am. Yeah. And that's why he's doing the charity work and doing mm-hmm. the... Uh, running for an MP. So, yeah, yeah. So. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that's commendable, is he understands that what he achieved is awesome. Yeah. But he's not letting that become his identity. He wants to be something more. Yeah. And I just think that's, that's amazing. I mean, I loved, again, the curiosity there. And to speak to the posh voice thing, I grew up resenting posh people, really thinking, yeah, fuck you, man, you don't know. You don't know. In, in your head, they've got everything you don't Of course, know. of course. That's not fair. That's not okay. And, and it's taken me years to get to, everybody has problems. Everybody has struggles. And just because you speak well, or maybe money isn't a concern. Well, it's also, it just happens to be where you grow up. We speak Garrett. like farmers because that's because we're here. Yeah. You know, we, we, could, we could be anywhere else in the country and we'd sound very different. So for, for me with James, it was only in obviously the research that I found out that his granddad had won, let's say, the pools. So he didn't win, you know, like absolutely life-changing, generationally changing money on you know, on the lottery, but he won enough to buy a house. And then all of a sudden he got a mortgage and all of a sudden life changes. So he's only two generations removed from quote unquote normal, you know, from, from not being um, you know, in a position. I mean, they, they weren't like super rich or anything. I think that came across. He was in a more privileged position than let's say Marnie, who grew up in a caravan, you know, with her mum. I think that was that was a surprise to me. And I think that's that really is the don't judge a book by the cover. It's a different or, world though, isn't it? I mean, you, you did the maths, right? So he won a thousand pounds and was able to buy a house. Yes. In today's money, you calculated that's forty thousand pounds. Yes. You buy me a house for thought forty thousand yeah, pounds. I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great having a name. It's great having somebody who who brings obviously a lot of interest with them. I mean, the funny thing was, James's episode was the one that catapulted the podcast. It really gave it a, a jump start because I collaborated with him on Instagram and he retweeted it. I was in Athens actually at the time with Vic. We were right next to the Olympic Stadium, the old Olympic Stadium, and I was messaging him and he was saying, Rich, I can't make this thing work. How do, how do you accept this collaboration? So there I am going back and forth with James Cracknell about you know how, how to do this. And I'm thinking... If he does this, this can change things. You know, he's like, oh, I just don't know if I can do it. And he ended up kind of you know, working out and went out thousands of thousands of likes. You know, I couldn't move for the number of people that were you know, downloading and retweeting and, and, and all that stuff. And I just remember feeling at that moment vindicated for the decision to do this because you doubt yourself. You know, you think, oh, what if only a couple of people listen? What if nobody listens? You know, I mean, I guess if nobody listens, at least I've had those conversations, right? I listened. You did. Thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought, wonderful guy. You know, he's not going to be for everybody because he speaks quite plainly. And I think since his, his injury as well, he speaks even more plainly. But 
he's just, you know, I think we haven't produced many better athletes in Great Britain than James Cracknell. Yeah, agreed. To the point where when he started speaking about rowing the Atlantic, he went, so then I rowed the Atlantic with Ben Fogel and then I... Yeah, then moved straight on. And he started moving straight on and I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't just... Nobody just rose the Atlantic. <laughs> just wonderful. Um, it was an experience and I feel like we could have spoken for ages. You know, he's just a you know, fascinating guy. Lots and lots to talk about. Brings us on to episode four, which Shabir. was with Shabir Haidari. Now, Shabir is a, an undefeated still pro boxer. That's what I was going to ask you, because I think he had a fight lined up. He did. Yeah, yeah, I went to it. As I said, I went to Shabir's first ever amateur fight when he was 15, where he just knocked the guy around for fun. And then I went to um, his most recent professional fight. And again, it, he was fighting a man, the weight up, the guy that he was supposed to be fighting couldn't for whatever reason so then somebody came in at later notice or shorter notice visibly bigger and Shabir just made you know he won fight of the night he's something special he really is but so then riddle me this yeah how does a professional boxer of that caliber yeah make no money how broken is that system boxing is in a really really strange place to the point where well they're relying on YouTubers to support him (sighs) I despair I I love boxing it was one of my first sporting loves the big money is made at the top. It's made televised and pay-per-view. So Shabir's on his way. I'll support him. I think, you know, I th- what, I'd like, what I like is I think this episode has brought more support out for him. Oh, good. In and around Gloucestershire. You know, people are like, whoa, his story. And for anybody that hasn't listened, I mean, you should. But Shabir fled Afghanistan age 12 and had the most nightmare nine, 10 month journey getting here. And he opens up about it and um, you know we spoke about emotion in in the episodes earlier he got quite emotional as i spoke to him about the baby that had been left on the dinghy and the parents had just left this baby because they couldn't swim with it and shabir age 12 my son's age now made the decision bear in mind he could barely swim himself he said picking this baby up and swimming with it to shore knowing that both of them could drown it doesn't bear thinking about it. he saved that kid's life and I think I think that's what made him emotional, right? So when, it was when you when you hear him talk about his story, he's very matter of fact. Yeah, you you can hear that he he lived through that mm. so many times in his head yeah. that it's now it just is what it is. And you rightly so because I think he needs to realise the gravity of the situation. He really pinned him down to say you saved somebody's life, mm-hmm. and I think that realization you could almost hear it wash over him. And what a thing to be. What a thing to say you've done, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like. I mean, I still can't get past with that with his story. Mm. All you hear from it is just lack of compassion everywhere. Mm. You've got the you've got the police officers screaming in a twelve year old boy's face, mm-hmm. who's clearly malnourished. Just where is the where is the compassion? I feel like it was really lacking, and I feel like you know, it wasn't until that police officer picked him up and that he felt safe. Well, and how terrifying. So, you know, for those of us that are lucky enough to have holidayed abroad, right, mm-hmm. even just going into a, into a shop in a foreign country and, you know, being the typical arrogant English, we don't, we don't necessarily know other languages, mm-hmm. you feel like a fish out of water, right? He's been dumped in the middle of the night in somewhere where he's, he doesn't really know where he is. He doesn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. How terrifying must that be? I, I was hoping with this... You know, I don't. I, I want to veer away from political, but what I would love is for anybody with a, you know, anybody that might use the term small boats, 
for them just to try and find some compassion and try and find some empathy and go, this is a kid that is fleeing a life where, in his words, he saw things that no kid should ever see or no person should ever see, to then go on this journey that was horrible in and of itself. We all talk about the dinghies and small boats, but that's one tiny part of the journey. The, the dinghy before him had 40 people on it in a five-man boat and they all drowned. Men, women, children. I just... I just think if we can just have some compassion, I'm, I'm not saying that we fix, you know, I, I can't fix immigration. I can't fix um, you know, anything. You know, that, that's not what this is about. This is about highlighting the mindset of somebody that is on his way to success. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's commendable. And, you know, we should, we should support more people like that. And what I thought was awesome as well, obviously he's still in the early stages. Mm, it's it's, it's it, sounds like, it sounds like he's on, you know, a massive upward trajectory. To have the foresight to trademark your brand, mm. he's already created a brand for himself. Yeah, and then you being being the man in and around, you know, sort of brand and business and that. You asked, why did you do that? Mm. He's already thinking about once I'm able, I want to give back. Yeah, I want to be looking after kids in Afghanistan and in other war torn places. And what a brilliant guy! Who's thinking that when you? Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, he's mate, he's a good guy. And that's why I, I do and will support him. And, you know, I ask other people to as well, just because, yeah, we, we're, we're fortunate, I think, to have, to have people like that kind of in and around, not just the city, but the country. And also, you know, you, it's just his, his work ethic, right? He's talking about staying up until 11 o'clock just because he he's reading children's books because mm. he wants to get a grasp of the language. Like, you know. Yeah, we, we don't. I've been doing Duolingo for nearly a year now. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm nowhere near learning Spanish. <laughs> Shabir was a wonderful guest. I'd like to think that his episode has gone some way to just highlighting the person that he is. And won't it be awesome when in 10 years' time yeah. you bring him back on and his world is completely different? And yeah, just yeah. that would be fantastic. We, you can then see the whole journey end to end. I mean, hell of a start of mine, right? Absolutely. On then to your old boss my old boss mr andrew block now andrew he was a guest where I, I know his background to an extent he went to one of the best private schools in the entire country i think it should be said that the starting line to me isn't just about a starting line as i say about oppression and trying to find the, the, the person with the worst story it's also what do you do with your starting line when you've got it and let's say that you are to use the the, the running race analogy and Let's say I'm back on the, I'm, I'm 10 meters behind the start line and Andrew's 30, you know, he starts from 30 meters ahead of me. What do you do from there? You know, it's the fox and the hare. It's the, um, you know, do you, do, do you just say, okay, well, cool. I can, you know, I can just sit back and like, you know, let life happen at me. And no, Andrew is so driven, so keen to, prove himself to support to to give back all of these things and i just think like you know, i've said it a couple of times there's a very healthy ego there from me and there's definitely that from andrew too but i think you need it in your line of work yeah yeah you need to back yourself that's what it is you need to go because you, you your job is to pitch to businesses and yeah. say you need us to yeah. show you in the best light if you're not confident in yourself how are they going to be confident and i think in you andrew brought i mean i loved when he's talking about that that group of friends and oh, well, the, the Matt Lucas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just you know, CEO of this and CEO, yeah. and, and you know, yes, you can say right. Well, private school is a great start, but it's also you know, you do have to work. You can't just you know. I do think you don't just get to stay there. I guess he and I have a significant percentage of the PR industry that follow us, 
So, of course, it's going to be well listened to if pitched in the right way, if people are like, oh, actually, I don't know that much about Andrew. And to be honest, I didn't know a lot about his upbringing. I didn't know a lot about his life. I was like, I know your life from, right, you went to Lynn Franks, Lynn Franks being the inspiration for Absolutely Fabulous. I know you. I know that everybody's heard that, but you know what else? You know, getting arrested for graffiti and you know things like that. It's it's just a more human version of him. But I know that we've got a decent audience between us of people that that can reach. But it's been one of the most listened to episodes, and I don't think that's just because of that. I think people like to listen to entrepreneurial people speak eloquently about business, and because business is. We are far more likely to start and run a business than we are to win an Olympic gold medal. It's a lot more attainable. When you speak to somebody or you hear somebody speaking about business in a way that, as we're both communicators, he is somebody that knows how to distill it to a simple message and be quite human about the challenges he's faced along the way. I think people, it resonates with people. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the episode with him. I, again, I wasn't sure what to expect, you know, your old boss and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah, he had, he had some great stories to tell. So. At the time, Eddie said, you know, this is one of my favorite ones we've recorded. You know, mainly because he learned. I think that's another thing is PR is all around us, I said. But most people don't understand it. Most people, because most people don't want to know that they are, how do I say, persuadable. Well, but... <laughs> When when you when you got into it like big time, and then you would explain to me what it was, I remember sending you stuff. Is this you <laughs> sending you headlines? Is going, Should I take notice to this, or is this you? And often, you? often it was you or someone you knew. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fascinating. I think he's probably Banksy. It's quite possible. Yeah, it's probably it's right. quite possible. Yeah. If, if, if only you know, if only we didn't know, or with with some degree of certainty, because Goldie said actually it was on Scroobius Pips podcast that Goldie knows Banksy and. He was talking about him and he, he slipped up and he said, Rob? Oh. Yeah. He was like, oh, because you know Rob. I mean, and this was years and years ago. So that then became... And that wasn't forced out of the edit? You'd think that. Well, what the but, hell? but then Scrooge Pip famously, I think, he doesn't edit. Oh, wow. Because he's got his speech impediment. I think he's like, I'm just going to give it you unvarnished. Oh, okay. Yeah, that made headlines. And I know would have no doubt helped from a downwards perspective and all those things. But yeah, so... If we didn't know that it probably isn't <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> after that interview, I'd be like, man, you're quite good at art, you said. You're quite and, good at- Andrew Robert Block. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was nice to get to know Andrew in a way that, I guess, having worked for and with him, you don't, and it was only for a very short period of time. This, this was the one thing I did say to you though after the episode, is I feel like, and I know you told me that the conversation did happen, but it just happened off mic, is... <clears throat> It was alluded to that he was your boss. Mm. I did want to hear a little bit more about that. You and I know, I know you said it was a little bit inside baseball, so it wouldn't have been fun for yeah. everyone to hear. But I quite like, you know, and I think this is why this episode hopefully will sort of resonate with the audience, is that it gives a glimpse to you as well. Because I, I think the great thing about podcasts is they're not, uh, it's not an interview format necessarily. Mm. It's a conversation yeah. and a conversation involves two people. Yeah, and so you want to learn about both, and if you've got a personal interaction with that person, then it's nice to Christ, sort of be. You'd have probably just said that I was over cocky, and then because I had the children, and I was I was living and working in London Monday to Thursday, and I fucking hated being away from them for that length of time. He'd have probably said it just didn't last very long. But right before when I started working there, we'd we'd agreed this might not work, and that's okay, you know. And, that's, and yeah, it didn't it just. It was short and sweet. We probably just didn't have too much crossover. 
I think what's probably interesting for people to know, so in in my world, you get hired into a business. Mm. You maybe have an interview with the direct line manager, maybe one above that, um, and that's that's where it ends. So then the the founder of the of the company doesn't necessarily even know you exist, mm. right? So you can somebody can be your boss but not know that you're even in the business. Yeah. But Andrew was actually the one that approached you and said, I like what yeah, you do. It was when we were, so I remember it, I was at, um, at a PR party function thing in London. He was with Alex Greer, the MD. And they're like, what do you think about coming to work for us? So I was running PR examples at the time, the site I mentioned. And you know, Frank's always been well known for, for its creativity. And I thought, yeah, you know, I, I love all that stuff. I love the stuntier side of things. And I think I just made a name for myself because I was gobby. <laughs> so... Andrew's episode went down incredibly well and continues to actually. Right, let's get back on track with episode six. Six. Which so we're going to go to Parsons. It was Haley now. OBE. Haley Parsons OBE. I loved her OBE story. <laughs> and, you know, how her mum forced her to go. She's like, you know, if you get invited to Buckingham Palace, you bloody well go. I brought you up better than that. Or to Downing Street because she didn't want to go to Downing Street. And then she ends up walking out. Heels in hand, pissed. Oh, I know. Haley was. She took a while to commit. You know, I'm, I'm there. To, you know, earlier on, I was saying about how it's sometimes difficult to get people to commit to doing these interviews. She didn't want to do it. Is that some kind of modesty? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and completely misplaced and unnecessary modesty because that woman created a multi-billion-pound industry, <laughs> and she was like, I don't know why you'd want to talk to me. Basically, wow. I'm sure based on that, then she probably wanted the interview to be over as quickly as possible. <laughs> if that was the case, then it went more than four hours. And honestly, that, that interview, I mean, what did it end up being? That interview ended up being uh, one hour 43, that interview was. And Eddie still talks about it now as the hardest edit he's done. And it's not because Hayley isn't wonderful. She was nervous. And she kept saying, I'm waffling. I'm waffling. It was, I mean, I, I remember it's one of my favorite interviews just because she was so open so wonderful spoke so passionately so eloquently so you know she's she's actually from and i think i think i said it in the episode she's from a place called t-box road in cumbran and a few doors down lived david buttress a bit younger than her david buttress so she founded confuse.com and go compare or you know was on the team that created confuse.com founded go compare and david buttress co-founded just eat and they lived down the road from each other in this council house. So it was just this incredible interview of self-deprecation, you know, concern for how she's coming across. It was, it was just quintessentially Welsh. Yeah. And I love it. I, I think Welsh people is the definition of like sunny disposition. Yeah. Like they are just, it's just so lovely. And yeah, she, yeah. Even though she's, like you said, she's created a multi-billion pound industry. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't take credit for that. And she's there telling me, how she went to Downing Street and walked out and he- you know, with heels in hand and, you know, glass of champagne and piss. Um, <laughs> she's just wonderful. So I love, I love the fact that she's still such close friends with... With Wynn. With Wynn, Wynn. that's it. Yeah, yeah, really good friend. I mean, he'd been there the night before. So she'd alluded to, and I can say it now, she'd alluded to the fact that he'd done well in Celebrity MasterChef. He won it. Did he? Yeah, oh. he won it. So they'd had a party to celebrate. The, the thing I find amazing is... The way she talks, super friendly, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, again, some, somebody you just love to talk to for hours, but stone cold, right? 
So she convinced two of her colleagues <laughs> to just walk away from a job yeah. and go in, I'll just look after you. Yeah. I mean, what confidence. Bulls. Like, yeah. unbelievable to be able to, and one, to be able to convince someone to do that. Go, Don't worry about your bills. It'll be fine. We're going to go build something awesome. She just had that, that strength of will to go, yes, this is what we're doing. And that's somebody who's always going to succeed. A lot of what got cut out, and um, so this plays into that, was insurance chat. All, all it told me was, this is a person that gets obsessive. She knows it inside and out. And she, she was like, I am going to work. I'm going to do my day's work. And then I'm going to learn more. And people don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear that you can't succeed and hit the top rung of the ladder by doing 9 to 5.30. You, know, you make time, you don't find the time. Yeah. So that obsession with insurance meant that people believed in her and people believe in her mean that they're going to invest in her and they're going to come with her and she's got that personality that pulls people along and what was lovely at the end i think i ended with like you know so where's that red ferrari then and she took me down to see this beautiful red ferrari oh yeah because yeah because she said um that's what she'd always wanted wasn't she's like i'm gonna buy it for myself because you know her dad had a car where he took the seats out (laughs) so they didn't have seats in the car and so we're there looking at this ferrari I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm not much of a car man. You know, I don't know. But, but you know, you know that a red Ferrari is a status symbol. It's, it's, it's nice. She said, I don't drive it. I said, why? She said, I have, I've driven it less and less over the last few years because I don't want to be driving around kind of giving it the big one, giving it the giving it large when so many people are struggling right now. And I don't want people thinking, who's that flash prick driving that? bloody flashy red Ferrari around. And it's, I mean, it's, it's ostentatious. You know, you look at it. I think yeah, red Ferrari. I mean, as bad as it sounds, like you, you see them driving around here, like Aston Martin can mm. blend in with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bentley can just about blend in no, with the crowd. Red Ferrari. British. Red Ferrari. <laughs> Mate, yeah. Yes. That's not blended in. No. But I, I just thought, again, it, it, you know, it's, she's come from this council estate in Cumbran. This isn't, this isn't somebody... Who's been gifted that on the silver platter? That's I somebody guess. who's worked hard. She honestly worked but so hard. But clearly shows that she's not forgotten her roots. Yeah. She sure. knows how she yeah. felt back back then. But yeah, just having that sense of self and sense of awareness yeah. is, is commendable. Again, that empathy is why people came with her. Yeah. Yeah, just a, a, a great interview. Yeah. Really, really, really Enjoyed proud of that one. And the second OBE. This brings us to our last one. Our final one for this episode. Number seven. Christian. Number seven. Christian Leroy Duncan, CLD. Christian Gloucesterboy, he is a UFC fighter and a former Cage Warriors middleweight champion. Defended his title. Had a crazy story of how the person he was supposed to be defending his title against an American was up because of jet lag. This is while he was still fighting Cage Warriors, actually. Yeah. And was up because of jet lag and got hit by a car, got injured and was then unable to fight. And they came to Christian and they said, you're not fighting. And Chris is thinking, what? You know, he's, he's thinking, yeah, because this is the this is the fight that is going to make or break whether he goes to the UFC. Yes. So right? you have to have a minimum number of defenses of the middleweight belt. And this guy pulling out meant that he wasn't able to fight. So he's there thinking, shit, this step, lost this, his chance. This sets me back. I um, mean, you know, I'm not going to be in the UFC anymore. So he he didn't get you know didn't get that fight. And then the guy said, Graham said, the good news is you're going to be a UFC fighter. You're in. So bypass that that kind of traditional route by you know, sheer talent and, you know, excitement around him. Christian was another one, like Haley, who he, he was saying, Rich, I don't know why you want to talk to me. <laughs> and I was like, because you're a Cage Warriors middleweight champion, it's 
from our city. He's just got to the UFC. Just heading into the UFC. What are you talking about? I think he's, he's a very unassuming guy. So um, I've, I've only so, met him briefly once, mm. which was when we were out and about and you went, oh, by the way, that's Christian. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, ridiculously handsome guy. So you have, to, you have to hate him a little bit for that. But yeah, he was just, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't carry himself. Yeah, I was going like to say, he doesn't carry himself but like that's, you might expect you would. That's wonderful. In a, in a world where you've got people that are desperate to prove how hard they are. Yeah. You've got a legitimate killer. <laughs> you know, and yeah, he's, just, he'll just walk around like, around. like just a, you know, he's just a good guy. He's a sensitive, thoughtful, intelligent guy. And, and I think that comes across. Oh, yeah. I think that comes I, across in the, really in the interview well. really, really well, you know. And the thing that I wanted to draw out of Christian was his motivation. And one thing that's a big motivation for him is his friend Joel, who passed away. Yeah. Plays his music. Plays his music as is his walk-in. I, I, I just felt like that story was untold at that point. Mm. You know, Christian always wears, you know, like a, a wristband. I'm just like, I just wanted to draw that out of him because I think a lot of people, like, can you relate to being a UFC fighter? Can you relate? No. <laughs> you know, the dedication, the training. He's training three times a day. He's eating perfectly. You know, he's, he's, he's doing all this. When he's being punched in the face. And he's being punched in the face. I just think built different. It's like, like the mentality is so different. So we can't relate to a UFC fighter, but we can relate to somebody who's lost somebody. We can relate to grief. We know what that's like. We know what that might be like as a motivator, as a driver. And we know, I mean, young as well. Like, you know, they've yeah. been best friends forever. It was just a really human conversation before his second fight. Now, he lost his second fight against Armand Petrosian. Now, Armand is a kickboxer. He's a good fighter. I spoke to Christian afterwards and he just said, my build-up wasn't quite right. Yeah, went to Vegas. You know, it's, it's big and it's exciting. And you know, he said that they just took over this hotel. But he was like, yeah, my build-up wasn't good. You know, I, I, he said I, like, there was a bit of distraction. And he's like, I didn't feel quite right going in there. He said the first, the, you know, in London, when I walked into that octagon, he's like, I, I own this. You know, I belong here. The second time, he said, I just walked in. I didn't feel quite right. You know, he did his flip and, and you know, his, his thing that he does. Didn't feel quite right. And he didn't fight at his best. Christian's fighting this Saturday. So on the 18th. Yeah, so we'll get to see him third fight in the UFC. We'll get to see him. I'm, I'm no doubt that he's destined for great things. And where's he fighting? Is it in the UK? It's not, no. It's back in, back in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the, the home of UFC now. Right. You know, to move it away from the, the technical stuff for a second and, you know, back to the interview. You know, again, we, I know Christian through his brother, Calvin, who we went to school with. He was the year above us at school. Um, you know, he used to ramp around school. Um, he's exactly the same kid. You know, he's just the most excitable ball of energy. It's funny that they're, they're, they're not like, they're not chalk and cheese exactly, but they're very different to each other. You know, Calvin is this gregarious character. You can't miss him. Not just because he's big and tall, and and but you know he's just that character, right? And and Christian, you wouldn't know who he was. And I think again, there's an aspect of me wanting to bring somebody from Gloucestershire onto the podcast and say, guys, look, there's negativity left and right, but here's some optimism, here's some positivity. Look at this guy from where we're from, doing something that is absolutely incredible. So I was thinking it's interesting as well with sports people in general. Like, so obviously he didn't set out to be a mixed martial artist. Basketball. basketball basketball through and through you could yeah. you could hear the love for basketball he loves it yeah, when he's, when he's it. talking about it and you know he gets to the level that you can really get to in mm -hmm. England because yeah. obviously we don't have the same scene as they do in the US 
And obviously that's a massive knock for him. Mm. Yeah. And then he, he, he manages to pivot and, and move on to something else. Yeah. But you just find this with sports people is they're just good at sports. Yeah. Right. Now, I don't know whether that's through some kind of motor skills are just better than everybody else or whether it's purely a mindset thing because he's both. gone from being high-level basketball, mm. go, right, that's over. Okay, now I'm just going to go and smash UFC. Like, I don't understand how they do it. They're able to just pivot away and just still be good at stuff. Now, I want some of that. Uh, <laughs> I think there's, yeah, there's definitely that balance of mentality. I'd say that's probably the majority of it. And then physicality, you know, he's, he's, let's be honest, he was a small basketball player at 6'3", 6'2". Yeah, so Christian was one of those episodes I couldn't wait to see our promo for it because he's a flashy finisher. And, you know, and, and I mean, the promo was great, you know, and, and the episode went down brilliantly. It brought us a load of people from mixed martial arts and fans of the UFC and that's a real passionate group, right? Oh my God, they're so passionate. People who love UFC, love UFC. Yeah. And again, you know, there's that, as you just rightly touched on there, about mindset. It's not just about the sport. It's about, you know, I think they, you know, they really get invested in the, the mindset of the fighters. And that translates quite nicely to, you know, I've got no doubt that some of the UFC fans, MMA fans that have come for Christian have also listened to probably quite a few of the others, especially the sports ones. So yeah, from a behind the scenes perspective there's there's little to add other than the fact that his humility is such that he as a UFC fighter a professional fighter didn't think he was like why are you speaking to me you know I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get a few more UFC fighters on for series two so yeah there you have it they are that's the first half of episodes of the start of my podcast insight there some behind the scenes to to some of the some of the people we've spoken to that you didn't necessarily get from the interview my intros outros all of those things Thank you very much, Stokes. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Goodbye, goodbye. And there you have it. I had an awful lot of fun doing that episode. Fun reminiscing. I know it's only recent past, but chatted about things that we've done very recently in terms of guest interviews. I'm excited to bring you the Q&A midweek, might be Wednesday or Thursday. So if you subscribe, if you follow, keep an eye out. It will drop into your podcast platform of choice. And next week, we are back with the second half of Series 1, where we wrap up behind the scenes with our second half of Series 1 guests. And then we're going to be taking a break. We will come back with Series 2 for you. Video, if you are visually inclined. Of course, still with audio. So it's only improving, adding to what we already do. And I'm just incredibly excited to bring everything else to you. If you want to get in touch, it is at Starting Line Show on pretty much everything. That's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. It's Starting Line Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, I'm active on all of those things to varying degrees. I'm still shit at TikTok. But um, <laughs> this first series, not to bang on too much, I'm so, so proud of it. I'm so proud of what we've put together and the feedback we've got has just been incredible. Your emails, your DMs, your reviews, the fact that we've charted every single week near enough, the sheer volume of downloads, all of those good things. I am incredibly proud. So thank you. It doesn't happen without you and without you sharing, without you telling your friends, without you enjoying it. I think that's the most important thing. So I will shut up now leave you to your day and be back in your ears in a few days time 
All right. Have a great week. Until Wednesday or Thursday. Goodbye. <laughs>